We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey there, Knicks fans. How you doing? It's your boy, John of the Macri, with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School podcast coming at you. Uh, at the end of what has been a very good week uh, for the New York Knickbockers, of course, three and zero here. The last three games, good stuff. Um, we are uh, doing a, a closing of the week episode that I've been thinking about doing for a while. I'm happy we got a chance to do it today um, on a subject that has become more and more prevalent as the Knicks are winning games, and that is on the subject of tanking. Uh, and so we brought on uh, Bleacher Reports. Dan Favale, um, he also has a great podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network, Hardwood Knox. Uh, go check that out for sure. Dan's awesome. Uh, we had a whole conversation about the merits of tanking and how it relates to this year's New York Knicks and whether you love tanking, hate tanking, or anywhere in between, um, you will appreciate uh, this conversation. Andrew also chimed in uh, for for with his opinions on tanking. I think, Andrew, uh, how are you, by the way? I see you behind the behind the screen. What's going on, man? I hear faint music playing. I think it says "Meet the Mets." Oh, that's how I'm doing, John. That's great for you. Congratulations, <laughs> you have baseball back. Thank you. Um, we should all <laughs> here. Stay, stay with me for a sec. Uh, we should also know today, uh, recording this Thursday night. Some bad news. Uh, Cam Reddish officially out for the year. Um, well, actually, no, he's out for six weeks, as was reported by Wode. So, like, I'm saying this with a straight face. Uh, you know, what happens if the Knicks are playing six weeks from now, right? Andrew Shakes said. Uh, yeah, so Cam's done for the year uh, with the shoulder separation, I think it was, right? Yeah. Yeah, separation. Yeah. So, um, unfortunate for him, I've kind of been more curious about the Cam contract situation than it has any right to be made curious about. Um, I just thought that there was a possibility that they might extend him this summer. Yes, he is under contract next year, but uh, as is going to be the case with OJ Barrett and everybody else who's picked in the 2019 draft, you can extend those players this summer. Uh, I thought if maybe Cam had a nice little end to the season, perhaps the two sides would be able to reach an agreement. I doubt that's going to happen now. 
Um, so unfortunate for him. Also unfortunate for the team because he was playing well and I think he was helping them, um, especially over the last few games he played. Um, it does, I guess, make the rotation situation a little bit easier. Andrew, I, I was, I don't know, I was writing the, the newsletter for Mar and I was like, how were we not getting to a place where Obi Toppin was a healthy DMP CD? Oh, I didn't. If, that, if, yes. if Grimes was back, I just didn't see a world. Cause if you assume they're going to play a traditional backup center. Okay. So then let's say Grimes is back. And, and unless they're going to shut down Burks or Fournier, which boy, it doesn't look like they're going to do either of those two things. Any, either of those things anytime soon. You know, I can't. The fact that we don't have to think about that now, I just I'm not even going to try and go. It's a fair concern and it's a fair projection. The fact that we don't have to think about it yeah. means that means I don't want to at this point. I don't want to get to the point where Obi Toppin is DMPs and even more I, like while they're winning and like potentially even progressing in the right yeah. direction. I don't want there to be something that ruins it. I, like that. I, yeah, no, I agree. I guess it wouldn't have. <laughs> Even after Grimes came back, it wouldn't have come to a head immediately because if Rose was still out, then they could have gone with, uh, let's see, quickly Grimes, quickly Grimes, Reddish, Obi, and a backup center. Although, like, you know, Tibbs doesn't want to do that because he loves playing RJ with these backup units. And guess what? He should like playing RJ with those backup units because it's working. Um, yeah. yeah. Anyway, but we don't have to deal with that anymore, uh, or at least not for the moment. But yeah. so what happens with? This is the conversation for the offseason, obviously, but Reddish is now, even though he's extension eligible, you don't have to extend him, right? No, it just, you, if you don't extend him before, I think it's the deadline is usually like a day before the season. If you don't extend him, then he's, unless you, you know, trade him in his fourth year, he's going to enter uh, the offseason of 2023 as a restricted free agent. Okay. Which, you know, come to an agreement, you, you know, some other team signs an offer sheet, you match it. Like, I don't know. Restricted free agency is an, is a very interesting topic for me. And like you said, it's more a topic for the offseason. But like it was restricted free agency got pretty, pretty interesting this past offseason. I mean, like John Collins got to RFA. Lonzo Ball got to RFA. Um, Lori Markkinen got to LFA. Like those are three really good players from that class. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're, we're all kind of hoping Jalen Brunson gets to. Well, at least the, the well, that's different fortune. because he's he's unrestricted. So it's oh, it, because he's wait, second wait, round pick. Wait, 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 he's an un, I had no he's idea. He's unrestricted. unrestricted. Yeah, he, that, he, how did I miss that? That he's an unrestricted free agent. Yes, if he wants to sign with the New York Knicks for the league minimum, the Dallas Mavericks can't do anything about that. Um, I, I don't think I don't I don't think I see I him think doing that. <laughs> I think I mean, he will. <laughs> they would have to open uh, up cap space, which is a whole other yeah. conversation. No, but it's just you know it's like you know I don't know. It, the, the rookie extension deadlines that occur during the summer of the uh, after their third year are always interesting uh, to me. And like I, I had a little bit of hope that maybe Reddish could get something, you know, I, like I, for instance, like I looked his former teammate. I looked at what he, Kevin Herter got like Cam Reddish is not has not been as good a player as Kevin Herter. But like that's why I was very curious about what Reddish was going to do over these last, you know, three, four weeks. Um, could he do enough to give the team enough confidence to give him a nice payday and to for him to feel okay about whatever the amount of money that he was getting. Um, but now that probably goes by the wayside. Neither here I nor think, there. I think the 
more fascinating thing for me is now that, like you said, reddish going down as much as it sucks and you, you feel for him, it kind of fixes like Quentin Grimes might be coming back and that fixes the rotation log jam for now. If they have, like you said, that like you say this with, with Dan Lander, the Derrick Rose return is going to be fascinating to see how it's handled and how it's received. Cause if he comes back and theoretically the best version of the team is now available to be together and play. And they have like a 12 game stretch where they might go nine and three down the stretch and it gets them into the play in. Will it be looked at as like, and this kind of segues right into the conversation, a good thing or a bad thing from this fan base. Yeah. And it's like, you know, people are going to hear this and they're going to be like, that's the stupidest fucking thing I've ever heard. Um, but like it is going to make a massive difference whether they are one game back mm-hmm. or four games back of the 10th seed. And you're the reason why that sounds stupid is like that should not probably be how you're making decisions as a franchise on a myriad number of issues. But I'm just telling you that is probably going to what it be what it comes down to. Um Given when I anticipate he's he's going to be ready to return, so we'll, so we'll, we'll we'll see what happens. So what are you thinking? Ninety five wins for the Mets? Do they they still have to add another pitcher? Do they, you still want to get Chris? Do you Bryant? want to play? Do you want to play? How many players can I name before we? Okay, we're gonna get to Dan in a second. Do you want to play? How many players on the Mets can I name? Yes. Okay. Uh, my wife is here. She just came in. I wonder if she's going to be able to name more than me. Dolores. Um, do you think you you can't name any Mets right now? All right, I'll, I'll, you could listen to the ones that I name, and then she could fill in any blanks that I don't say. Uh, Noah Syndergaard, right? Is still nope. on the Mets? No, he nope. got he he's with the he different... left in free agency. He did. My wife just yelled. Um, <laughs> Jacob Degrom. Yes. What jersey am I wearing that you got me for my birthday? Pete Alonso. There you go. What shortstop did they just trade for and give three hundred and forty-one million dollars to last season? What's the largest city in the Bay Area? Wait, hold on. Oh my god! <laughs> I don't know. It's the largest city. I know in the Bay that. Area. I know that. I know the trade also brought Carlos Carrasco, but he's not there anymore, right? No, he's still there. He's oh, he is still there. So that's a third there. player I named. Yeah. Okay, that's good. Hold on, I'll come back to him. Is okay. um, who's the head is of the Nimmo player? still there? Yes, Brandon Nimmo still there. Nimmo who's the head of the there? players' union that's been negotiating with the owners? For the past 100 days that the Mets signed in like a record setting deal for a starting pitcher this offseason, right before the the thing broke. He used to be on the Nationals and they went to the Dodgers. Max Scherzer? Max Scherzer. Yes. He had two Max different Scherzer. colors. Did you eyes. know Max Scherzer's on the Mets? You did? Good for you. Um, you hold on. I think I can name a few more. Um, who's the guy? There's another outfielder that's pretty good. Well, Michael Conforto's gone, by the way. Oh, I was going to name Conforto. Okay. Yeah. And they just signed a guy named Sterling Marte, who I think is really good. He's I know who Sterling Marte is. I did, ah, I did not know you. he was on the Mets. Um, the, I said Pete Alonso. Yeah. I think there's really only one that you might know, and it's the closer. Can you name who the closer is? A lot of Mets fans have cursed his name. Baez? No. Uh, is it, Hob- is it, oh, Javi Baez used to be a Met. He got traded to the Mets mid at the deadline last year. Is he not and, on the Mets anymore? No. When they okay. signed Max Scherzer, they then he then reprioritized to a team that was willing to spend on a second baseman, and he signed for like two forty. I think it was. Hold on, one. I'm going to ask my wife who's the shortstop the Mets traded for last offseason. He was very good. He, they got him from Cleveland. Wow. 
What? You can't, I don't. She doesn't know. Who's the, who's the, what's the guy's name? You're not shaving anybody right now. Francisco Lindor. Lindor. That's it. Francisco yes. Lindor. No, I didn't. Jeff, Jeff McNeil is also a guy that has been here for a minute. Same with J.D. Davis and Dom Smith. Uh, Dom, uh, Dom Smith rings a bell. Sorry, on Sunday, you get to do the Yankees with Jeremy. Oh, I couldn't name three Yankees. I, don't yeah, I guarantee you can. No, now we're doing this real quick before we get to the interview. Is name Brett Gardner Yankees. a yes. Yankee? Uh, no, actually, he's not under contract anymore. So he might be a Yankee if they retain him. I don't know why this name just popped into my head. Is Jamison Talion a Yankee? I think so, but the, uh, he. I'll look it up. He, uh, there's, there's a two outfielders that you should know. Oh wait, no, I know. Okay, you're right. I can't do this. Aaron Judge and John Carlos Stanton. Thank you. <laughs> yes, and Jamison Talion is a. Is wait, a no, hold on. I'm on a roll there. now. The, okay, the, the catcher, Mike. Uh, not Mike Stanton. No, no, Mike, I don't Mike Trout. Um, no, he. Uh, oh God, um, he's Hispanic. Yes, catcher. Yeah. Yes. Fuck, I can't think of his name. Gary Sanchez. Gary Sanchez. That's it. And then there's a really good pitcher that used to pitch for like the Pirates or something that they got. He used to pitch for the Pirates and then used to pitch for the cheating Astros. Although I don't think he was actually there when the Astros were cheating. So. Uh, he's really good. Yeah. <laughs> Spotty postseason resume, but you know, Yankee fans will have to live with Garrett that. Cole. Garrett Cole, you nailed it. it. I got it. I got it. I, I just named like six Yankees. Look at you. Baseball fan, Jonathan Macri. Okay, that's it. I'm not embarrassing myself. <laughs> <laughs> at least I didn't say like Andy Pettit. What? Oh my God. Name five what? Hockey players. Oh, even even I show. Well, I could name you five. Name five. I couldn't name five non Rangers. I could name you. Most of the Rangers. Though. Let's see if I can name a hockey player who's active. Is Alexander Ovechkin active? Yes. Okay, Washington, uh, Washington Capitals. There you go. And Sidney Crosby? Yes. So those two. There you go. Wow, this game. <laughs> wow, this game. I know Lundquist retired. Yes. Guys, remember uh, retired earlier this earlier this season, early two months I, ago. I, I can't name another hockey player. Igor Shosturkin plays no only for the Rangers. Is. Might actually be like on the the hockey version of the MVP track. Um, Mika Zabanajed, who is a forward for the Rangers and really good, and then uh, Artemi Panarin, who is a free agent signing. Remember when the Knicks These missed are... out on Katie and Kyrie? Yeah. Well, James Dolan actually did get the biggest free agent of that offseason. It was Artemi yeah. Panarin going to. The oh New wait, York. no, I can name one more. The guy that used to play for the Islanders and now he plays for like Toronto or something. Mm-hmm. John Tavares. Yes, John Tavares. There you go. All right, so I named three hockey players. That's really good. Proud of you. I'm very impressed with myself. (laughs) We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Joining me now on the next Film School podcast he is a returning guest. He's a friend of the pod, a good friend of the pod despite what he may think about his effect on our listenership. Um, you could find him and his stuff at Bleacher Report. Uh, and also, speaking of friend of the pod, friend of the Blue Wire Podcast Network, because he has a podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Hardwood Knox, awesome stuff. You can follow them at Hardwood Knox on Twitter. And of course, you can follow him at Dan Favale because he is the one and only Dan Favale. Hello, Dan. Hello, guys. Thank you for that fantastic intro. And thank you so much for having me back. Andrew wrote a much meaner introduction in which I belittle you for essentially the entirety of the episode. But I thought better of it. Um, I, I'm not surprised that he wrote that. I'm actually surprised he can write is really. What <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> Dan. Wow. You're so, welcome <laughs> for the recommendation on podcast equipment, by the way. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Hey, you were just it, criticizing that equipment. Nah, so next, 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 next time you t- you message me, hey, what what mic should I get? You're gonna get the worst Yeti. You're gonna get one of those those Yeti blues, like the snowball that John used to use. That's what I'm gonna recommend. Now you're making fun of me because I used that for like three years. I know, and then I showed up, and then what happened? Now okay, you sound impeccable, Jonathan. So I, I want to. So I brought out there because I I uh, I want to I wanted to do a tanking pod, and I want to just someone who whose opinions on the NBA at large, I respect greatly and doesn't just think about this uh, crappy basketball team that we know and love. Um, but before we get to that, I do want to do a little bit of a, a backstory because Andrew and Dan know each other from a ways back. And I don't think we've ever actually told this story on the pod. So I don't know which one of you wants to like, how long have you guys known each other now? I'll, I'll say it. So Dan, my cousin's, uh, shout out to my cousin Ryan, who's actually like a very loyal listener of Nick's Film School, and he's a patron and Thank was like you, with us with us on uh, playback last night. Um, is it that you and Ryan are close, or is it you, Ryan, and his brother, my other cousin David, are close? Yeah, they're like two of my best friends. We go back like over a decade at this point. I don't know that I met you through them though. Isn't that is that are they the ones who brought you to pick up basketball? Because that's how I met you. Yes, that's how I met you because Davey, we were out playing basketball. This is when I tell you this is a month before we were all were stuck going inside. We all went on Super Bowl Sunday, the day the Chiefs beat the 49ers. And we played pickup basketball because it was like a sunny day in February. And it was we were all out of shape, late 20, early 30 year olds that played full court. And it went as well as a full court game would go. So this is where I've said in the past, Dan, that you actually need to represent my bona fides or I've told John that yeah, I, don't, I may not look it, but I, have like I don't a believe wet, this. Dan, I have a he... wet jump shot. And that <laughs> if you leave me open, I'll make you pay for it. <laughs> Does he have a wet yeah, jump shot? Dan? I wouldn't call it wet. It's splat <laughs> just because that sounds weird. 
But, it does sound uh, very strange. Is, I don't feel comfortable with that. He can go splash, and he's way more consistent than an Evan Fournier from beyond. Like, I, if you're in crunch time, I'm going to trust. I'm going to trust him with an outside look more than I'm going to trust Evan Fournier at this point. That, that's One right. That, that's not that big of a compliment, uh, but <laughs> two, I think that that's that's fair. The other reason I want Andrew you on for this is because I know you have some pretty strong opinions on the subject that we're going to talk about today. A little bit, yeah. yeah and I'm, a little bit. I, yeah, I'm curious where we go with this one. So before we, I, I I know your opinions on tanking, which I'll you can tell the audience in a bit. But Dan, do you? Let's start with this. Do you have any strong opinions on the merits of tanking, or are you just kind of like you know? I I'll play it like I see it depends on the situation type of deal. Yeah, it's definitely situational, but I actually don't have strong opinions on tanking because I think to have strong opinions on it almost infers that it's a problem. And I really just don't view it as a problem in the league. I think the adjusted lottery odds certainly helped, but what the Sixers were doing were sort of uh, way back when in the process era, that was like once in a generation, unprecedented type stuff when you're looking at how long it lasted. And until a bunch of these other teams started being that bad, I arguably view it as more criminal to be inadvertently crappy, uh, like the Kings. Like that feels like a more of a malpractice than whatever happened in Philly, what people think that OKC is doing. And I get, you know, one season tanks, I don't have a problem with either because you're still incentivized in the lottery system if that's how you want to go about it to try and get the worst record possible so you can get the highest pick possible or at least have the best chance at it. And yes, I didn't like watching the process era Sixers, but have we ever seen anything like this? And I also finally think that sometimes we look at records or maybe even personnel and we just assume that because the team is rebuilding their tanking. And I use Oklahoma City as an example because they throw out lineups that are egregious where you have to Google people's names sometimes. (laughs) Like I get it. They've been like not the worst team in the league this season when you watch them. They yeah. they defend hard. They have interesting players on their roster. Um, they've been able to discover some guys like an Aaron Wiggins or even a Trey Mann who might stick with them longer term. Yeah. So if you're going to flagrantly rebuild, that's fine with me. But I also kind of, you know, we oversimplify it too by saying this team needs to tank. And if you are coached well enough or have even enough kind of competent players Players are never tanking. They're not trying to help you get guys who can replace them. In and coaches time. aren't tanking either. Like maybe I mean, there are ter- <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say there are there are some terrible coaches in the league. I don't think Tom. Obviously, I don't think Tom Tibbs is a terrible coach. But like, there are bad coaches. But like, you know, coaches don't know how to coach to lose, right? Like, you know, that's just not a thing that happens. I'm so happy you brought up OKC to start this thing off because, like, I actually think that they have kind of perfected the the tank because the they've done what Philly did except better in that Philly ran a bunch of players out there on the court that like just flatly weren't NBA players. I mean, there were a few exceptions. Like obviously they got Covington out of that and like TJ McConnell has like carved out a nice career for himself. But for the most part, there were like a lot of non-NBA players. OKC, I feel like they've really mined some like gems, but at the same time, there's no back and forth with anybody about like, well, should these kids do like, do they deserve to be playing because there's this veteran or that veteran on the bench? Like there are no veterans other than Derek favors who it's like, he's a backup center. So it's no big deal. Like I, from my two cents, I think if I was looking objectively at like all the teams who weren't like out and out contenders, 
I, I kind of see OKC. I'm like, I think they're doing it the right way. So like, I guess I'll transition to that. Like, do you think it's a smart strategy what they're doing? I understand it's a little bit different because they have like a million picks in the world. But, you know, generally speaking, do you, do you like what they do? I do because I am a believer, even though people say you don't need to have these unproven quantities on the court getting game action. I'm a big believer in that those reps help. Um, yeah. They help the player and they help teams glean, glean information on the player when there are actual presumably stakes involved. I do think their situation probably looks rosier because as you alluded to with the picks and yeah. there's that possibility, maybe they consolidate at any given point because they have the, all those picks, but it also creates a situation where you almost have to go this route. They have so many incoming picks that like they can't even fit them all on their payroll legally. And so you're going to have to start making quicker decisions on some of these players that are under your roof. So you have to play them to find that out. And so I find it, I don't want to use the word admirable, but I definitely find it legitimate to be like, Hey, we're just going to cut out most of the, the veteran fat here. Like Kemba Walker, take your money, go to New York. We have favors, we have Muscala. And it does seem like whether this is a Sam Presti thing the players that they've instilled, uh, Mark Dagnall, like, or if it's just Derek Favors and Mike Muscala are great leaders. You don't hear about like fractures and, and fissures no. or like weird dysfunction behind the scenes. And I, I think a lot of people look at, oh, you need that veteran presence to kind of reel everybody back in. Maybe they do have that. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to slander, you know, the Derek Favors here, but um, it seems to be working out there perfectly fine. So I think it only becomes, I guess, really an issue if you're doing this on purpose for like a five six year span or whatever it is. And that's just so rare. Yeah, it, it is. Um, like you brought up Philly and then there's like, you brought up the Kings who are, have inadvertently been tanking for the better part of two decades. But like, I think what's miraculous about, and we're going to transition to the Knicks cause I want to get Andrew's input soon. Um, what I think is so great about what OKC is doing. It's like, yes, they've gotten their asses handed them a few times this season. They obviously had the, the worst loss in NBA history. Um, they've had some other, you know, big losses, but like, they're the second or third best team um, against the spread, I think, in the league this year, if not the first. Like they, they cover all the time. Like they just, they surprise you. You watch them on an average on just a random night, and you're like, oh wow, the Thunder are in it against the Nuggets. You know, you know, randomly on on like a Tuesday night. Like that happens a lot, and that's a credit to, I guess, their culture, their coaching, the guys they pick, like all of those things. Like if you're gonna do that, I think. The notion of tanking is fine because it's like the whole thing that I think coaches push back on with this stuff is like, well, tanking sucks because you you ingrain bad habits because there's no stakes. Right. And I think that really like the tanking question is more a, a question about like, well, what you know, what is your organization about? Like how strong, how sturdy is your organization? Um, Andrew, I know you are. Are you as tank as anti tanking as it could be or, or do, do you hold that there can be some merits to this is a plan. I'm curious. I'm really glad that Dan specified that there's like a difference from what Philly did to what like we see with OKC and how Cleveland built what they built and what yeah. Golden uh, Gold well Golden State never really tanked. Um, more Phoenix built what they built. I'm glad that like there we specify that there's a difference between focusing on development and letting the kids play out their mistakes on rosters that are largely bad. And then what Philly did, which was intentionally, and look, I've read tanking to the top and Jeremy and I got into it last night on playback. It's a great book. And like I've talked to your own about it and I do not, we just do not have proof that Hinky had 
a competent plan to build out a team. He had a competent plan to sell off anything hinting talent to like get assets back. Like there just wasn't. He all he did was draft Joel Embiid. That's literally the only thing he what? did successfully. Oh, I mean, that's what do you do? What do you do? I mean, that you Ben Simmons was good. He Every- was fired before Ben Simmons. He was fired before the lottery. The team was bad. They had Ben Simmons because the Hinky error existed. That, was yeah, that is uh, a completely fair point. My entire what, notion is that, like, Jeremy Grant, Covington, like, there were guys that came out of that. He mentioned TJ McConnell. Yep. They got to start there. So, and I'm I'm saying that if Hinky was still around, he would have been like, "Oh, look, a talented player. Let me trade him for assets," I, which was like the contest continual rotation. The day he got fired. The notion around it was like nobody wants to go there because they know that they're just an asset, which to Jer- the point that Jeremy made last night was more that Hinky's problem wasn't necessarily the plan was bad. It's that his communication to players, he was a terrible yeah. manager of people. I think your makes that point in the book, too. Yeah, I just like worth the, the best defense I think you could make for what Hinky did is that he never would have made the Markel Fultz, Jason Tatum trade. And we could be looking at Embiid. Simmons and Tatum today, which like if that had happened, then the process worked and like, go have you, Andrew, uh, what? The, pro- the process. I mean, we're recording this as the Nets are playing the Sixers. I haven't checked the, the betting odds recently, but I have to imagine the Sixers are no worse than what a two to one, three to one bet to win it all. I would win it all. So you're saying that you're going to say the process worked because they got Simmons and traded him for Harden. Well, I mean, no, they have Embiid, who is the pro like Joel Embiid is. You can quibble about his health. Uh, he's played in more games than Kyrie Irving over the past three years at this point. So, like, you have one of the five best players in basketball who's one of the top three MVP candidates this season who, without, Harden probably doesn't even want to be there. I'm sure Dow Morey factors into it Bingo. as well. I do agree with you that it seems like Hinky's biggest mistake was not only relationships with the players, but he rankled agents. And I'm more inclined to blame agents in a lot of these situations because what we call the Hinky special now the agents are letting players sign those like four year, very cheap deals where they're under team control for so long. And now Sam Presti's popularized it again in Oklahoma City. Um, I there's it's definitely more of a complex discussion, but there the footprints of Sam Hinkie are still all over that organization because look at what they did. Like they were able to move Robert Covington eventually as part of a trade for Jimmy Butler. Covington's a guy you don't find without Hinkie either. So yeah. there's they're just there's layers to it. I just think to say that he didn't have a plan is unfair and that the execution was too like abrupt or, abrupt or callous. Callous, that's the word. Extreme, I think, is the even bigger word to use. No, extreme. no, but the the the, the plan being extreme mm-hmm. worked. How he how he handled everything on the like on the periphery was what the issue was. I'm just flat out never going to agree that the press like I get the there oh. is an argument for it. I just personally like I never saw Sam Hinkie build a, win- a winning team. So like just Here's, based off of that president, I'm personally never going to agree. My one follow up would be if you don't go through the process when you are on the clock in that mm-hmm. situation, is Joel Embiid your pick? Uh, Like with the he was a third pick that year, right? He was. Yeah. And knowing that he's going to miss, we didn't think he was going to miss two years. Right. But you knew that he was dealing with issues. It seemed like it was in the ether that maybe he wouldn't ever play during his rookie season. That is probably not a decision, even if you think you're on a gradual timeline, that most of these general managers, executives, czar of basketball operations, whatever the hell they're called now, they're probably not (laughs) making that decision because of there needs to be some immediacy on your returns. And that's, 
there's value in having that type of patience, whether you have ulterior motives behind it or not. Which is an argument for why he originally wanted to... And the book lays this out. He originally wanted to work out Porzingis, more of a project. And KP did everything he could to go nowhere near a Philadelphia workout, knowing what they do with their assets. Which, again, goes back to the periphery as opposed to the plan to get the players on the court. Look, I am humble enough to acknowledge there is an argument like it worked. Okay. If you want to go down that path, I just don't think it like personally did. So, Having said that, what the the bigger thing I'm anti, and this is Dan, where you can get into more of the larger Knicks conversation over the last couple of days, is what the process did to every other fan base in thinking that the only good thing about your team every night is losing games and rooting against your young players getting experience in games that may not win you a championship, but is good experience, as John said, to build good habits. This three-game winning streak that the Knicks are on, the amount of this ruined the tank, this why didn't Jericho Sims play more minutes? Well, how about this? Like, Getting RJ Barrett good experience to like experiencing winning games, getting to see quickly induce be successful and it leading to a victory is a good thing. And with the in the flattened lottery era, like tanking is not the only way to to succeed. And the tweet I sent out last night that I immediately muted because I wanted no part of a conversation. It was just a statement, and then I'm going to bed. Like there are so many other examples of teams that built from the middle up the sum, the summer of 2019, which we as Knicks fans thought was going to be this magical offseason where we tanked, got Zion, and then Katie and Kyrie were right behind us. Well, guess what? We did. We tanked. Two teams that didn't got two picks higher than us. And listen, I love RJ Barrett. Got two players better than RJ Barrett. And then... The two team, the two guys that we thought were coming here went to a team that didn't tank and made the playoffs. They were a seven seed and they were like, oh, they're building like organizational confidence. We should go there because they're closer rather than a team that's just losing for the sake of trying to win. In and this is the other part of the discussion. I want to bring it back to you, Dan. In major markets, which is why the tanking discussion for 24-ish other NBA teams is, I think, slightly different than it is for if you play in New York, Los Angeles, uh, I guess Golden State, um, because people seem to like the Bay Area. I've only been to the Bay Area once. It seems like a lovely place. Um, And Miami. Um, You just, we've just talked about the process a lot. We should note that as we talk about this Knicks team, um, the math is quite a bit different. And Dan, I'm curious if you think it makes a difference in like, again, how fans root or don't root for things at this point of the year, because what it used to be was guaranteed a top four pick if you finish with the worst record in the league and you had a two thirds chance of getting a top three pick. Now, 50-50, you're getting either fifth or bottom four. And then it's uh, only, yeah, and and you you could fall to fifth as opposed to falling to fourth. And then obviously there's a trickle down effect from there. So if you finish with the second worst record, not as good a chance at all the good stuff, third, third or second, so on and so forth. Um, do you think that changes how a fan base should look at the, you know, the end of a season, like the one the Knicks are, are in right now? I think it absolutely should. And when you look at the Knicks case specifically, just being so far ahead of the Pacers, who are the next team below them in the East, what are you tanking towards well, at yeah. this point? And even if you were going that route, and it's also the difference of 
Even if you were to move up a couple spots, we're talking about instead of a a three percent chance at the uh, first overall pick, you get like six or seven point five. Uh, when you're looking at sort of the like the tippy top of if you want to call them the tanking rankings or the the worst teams, I think there's something to be said like because they're flattened because if you have the worst record, you can technically drop all the way down to fifth. Um, that yeah, you should maybe be a little bit more selective in how you're going about it. Um, I think what's interesting though is that the play-in seems to have solved a lot of this too by teams are actively trying to get a top 10 seed where it's we will make win now trades and that sort of allows other teams to not so much tank and still just be bad. Um, where I think the Spurs might be a good example this year where it's yeah, they traded Derek White, but like they yeah. never just like they were never just and they didn't play Thaddeus Young for a while, but like they haven't all out tanked, but they've now just organically opened minutes. For some of the youngsters on their roster, they're still okay. They're they're still watchable. So I think the way that the odds are now, coupled with the playing, of course, I think it absolutely needs to change the way we we look at tanking. I still view it as more of just a longevity discussion because there are going to be one year tanks if if we call them that. Like sort of what the what the Pacers have done. Um, yeah. is how long are they lasting? Or as we discussed earlier at the top, is just the inadvertency behind some of these like more long standing really bad situations. Shout out Sacramento still. Um, those are more concerning to me than the conversation of tanking. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. And it's like, you know, but again, I look at the Pacers and I, I kind of think about the Thunder in, in uh, different situations, to be clear. But like the Pacers kind of had a pretty good organizational culture. I know the coach did not work out by any stretch of the imagination last year. Um, they seem like they've kind of righted the ship. Things seem okay there for the most part. Um, so it's like they could lose a bunch of games. And like, I think people in Indy still feel pretty good about things. Whereas, and this is why I'm happy you, you brought it up that it's like, it is really situation specific with the Knicks. Like, I don't know the perception if they finished after a four seed last year with the fifth or the sixth worst record in the league. I don't know. Something about that rubs me like it worries me a little bit, especially when, again, they could finish with the fifth or sixth worst record in the league. And there's a very decent chance they still get the seventh or eighth pick in the draft. So and then you bring in the conversation about like, well, you know, how would the Knicks even tank? Which is why for me. It goes back to not anything that they've done this season, not anything Tom Thibodeau's done, not anything like it goes back to like the decisions made by the front office back in like 2019 and 2020. Like when they signed guys like Julius Randle and Marcus Morris and like Bobby Portis, to, you know, to, to, to play heavy minutes um, as opposed to like trotting Kevin Knox and like Frank Milikina out there. That to me is where is where the shift happened. I just like I I don't know, Andrew, do, do you think that they're. Like, what would a tank even look like for the Knicks for the rest of the season? Because I don't even know what the answer to that question is. Well, there's an important distinction you just made for the rest of the season. I'd argue for like three weeks playing Kemba Walker 30 minutes a night, <laughs> playing Alec Burks a bunch of minutes a night. No, only listen, playing your young players. No, what? do not put Alec Burks in the same conversation out as of Kemba position. Walker. Putting, playing Alec Burks out of position. How's that? Still not as bad. Not as bad. No, I agree with you. I'm not. Listen, this is just real. This is the point we've reached, Dan. Okay. Um, did you, how much Kemba Walker did you watch this season, Dan? If the answer is none, I I applaud you because that's. I've seen enough Kemba Walker to know that he's washed. I guess I'm far enough removed from seeing Kemba Walker to where I would definitively say I prefer Alec Burks at point guard, like playing mm -hmm. out of position. So, but that's fair. Yeah. It after, was you know. 
I was so high on Kemba's edition. I'm just so saying. Sorry. We all were. No, we all no. Were. We, 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 we all were. And, and, and listen, again, the guy, whether he deserves it or not, he won a conference player of the month. Like, he can still dial it back. It's just the fit was never right. And that that more than his ability or inability at this point, that was the tanking aspect of it more than anything. Anyway, Andrew. I got to make a ne- an unnecessary correction. He won a player of the week when the Knicks... What did I say? You played conference player of the month. Oh, sorry. Player of the week. Yeah, Very important distinction. He won one player of the week award when he played three bad teams. This is the Celtics pre whatever they are now. Yes. Sorry. The Hawks and he played the Wizards. This is like the bad versions of both of all three of these teams after he was off for. So that's how you get Kemba going. Give him off for 27 days and then like you might get three really good games. Love you, Kemba. It's the anniversary today of the cardiac Kemba shot in the Big East tournament. Oh, my God, it is. In an amazing moment, that seems like a decade ago. Hey, guess what? Because it is. Um, so <laughs> the important distinction is that I thought they were like sneaky tanking, but in the worst way. Like there was no point if you're going to maximize these veterans that aren't going to be here. And Obi's playing seven minutes and Quickly's playing 15 and getting benched in the Laker game and like Deuce isn't seeing the floor. Like if you're not playing any of the kids and ma- trying to make the play in with these vets, then yeah, that I think is like an annoying way to tank and the wrong way to go about it. The way they're doing now, like say they, I guess the way tanking would look like is you shut down Mitchell Robinson and like Jericho Sims is starting and then quickly is starting. And like, it's a sneaky way of what the. um, My question would be in the next instance, like tanking for them might actually be shutting down some of the younger players, some of the younger players, because they're better. They're, they're better. Right. than No, like you just mentioned there. quickly starting, like there have been, I think smart people who have been like, yes, Emmanuel quickly should start at point guard. So, not for any other reason other than that. He's the best player for the job since like <laughs> November. <laughs> I guess, I guess my answer to your question is more like, I don't think there is like a way for the Knicks to tank anymore. I think they actually are in a good position. That's my point. That's my point. They're in a good position where the younger players will find roles and more importantly, minutes going forward. The Cam Reddish injury sucks, but like Quentin Grimes might be back sooner rather than later. And then he can slide in right to that role and take minutes. The big question I have is, is Derek Rose actually going to come back and make this an actual race for the 10th seed? And then like, if if that means Deuce is going to get the go to go to the bench as a result, then that's a little bit malpractice. So what they have now, I think I like. Yeah. What's up, Dan? I was going to say that's a little, I just feel like that's what you I wouldn't even call that tanking. It just doesn't seem smart Mm-mm. to bring Derrick Rose back at all. It's just, uh, let's see what he looks like next season because he was look. the fact that he is so mission critical to like the way that offense needs to operate um, dating back to last season is, Oh, he's the most mission critical. part. It scares me. Like that's not something in 2021, 2022, excuse me. You should not be that tethered. Your livelihood shouldn't be that tethered to Derrick Rose. But now, especially I just, you have all the other options in the youngsters. And I think both of you have now sort of alluded to this. Tanking is really for teams that don't have enough players or prospects to explore. Mm-hmm. And the Knicks, I would argue, and I'll, I'll boil it down to one player. Getting this type of usage and functional role from RJ Barrett, seeing yeah. what he can do in it when he's attacking the basket, when he has all this additional responsibility, it is more valuable, in my personal opinion, to their future than even if they leapt up and entered with... Like, if they had top five lottery odds, because RJ Barrett is can is at least 
more of a tangible possibility of being the it guy where you don't know what you're getting in the draft. And he might be someone that can be the basis or the second largest basis for, for everything you do. And so getting that information from him is far more important to me than if it lose if you lose games doing it fine, if you win games, whatever, but because he exists and they're sort of not working from this position of emptiness and there, there are players beyond RJ. I want to make like Emmanuel quickly, of course, let me make that clear. I would also argue you can't tank if, if Deuce McBride is going to play, you can't tank. That just doesn't happen. <laughs> no, I, I'm happy you brought up Deuce because, like, and and in the because to me, the the tanking discussion is going to come to a head, as both of you were saying, if and when Derrick Rose is healthy enough. Because could you imagine if there is a point where, let's say, with a dozen games to go, they are two games back of the 10th seed, right? Let's say they're, I don't know, to make something up, they're tied with Washington and like they're two games back of Atlanta and like three games back of Charlotte, right? With it, with 12 to go. So like feasible, right? Derek Rose is there. I love me some Deuce and Pride. Deuce and Pride's fucking amazing. I want to see Deuce and Pride play 48 minutes every night and five <laughs> more minutes of overtime. Derek Rose is, is the, is a better player today than Deuce and Pride. I don't think anyone would, would dispute that. Is is there an argument that like, okay, if we give Derrick Rose 25, 30 minutes a night, that might make the difference for us between making a play in and not making a play in. And then if we make it, we'll get more experience, right? For your RJ Barrett's and your Emmanuel Quickly's and maybe your Obi Toppins and your like whoever else in a in a high level playing. And God forbid we win the play-in game or win two playing games, like more playoff experience. Um is that like, is that worth it? And I, I don't, I don't necessarily think there is a right or a wrong answer as opposed to the alternative of like, no, we're going to shut Derek Rose down. We're going to play Deuce McBride those 25 minutes. Come what may, we don't really care. Like to me, that gets into the real nitty gritty of this. And it, I, I do think it's complicated. I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to pretend I feel strongly one way or the other. It is also hard to muster strong feelings for the Knicks specifically when it's, like if, if the numbers played out as they were right now, they're looking at the ninth or 10th pick, let's say. And if you made the play in and you fell to like 14, if you didn't like make it out of the play in or 13 or whatever you end up being, yeah. there's like, I don't really know what the opportunity cost is, especially in this draft where I haven't dove knee deep into the draft just yet, but it feels like people are high on a lot of guys at the top. But then after that, it starts to, to taper off. There's a top three, maybe four, depending on your feelings about Paolo Banchero and Jaden Ivey. So it's like, it, but after four, it's like, it's a crapshoot. Yeah. So I, yeah. Andrew, what are, what are your thoughts? I, this is more a consistent thought about the draft in general. Um, You know, this from my conversation with our buddy Yash today, cause he's like, he's raving about how the jets have drafted over the past couple of years and is ready oh, to say that they're not in the same conversation as the Knicks or well, my beloved New York Mets yeah. on snake bitten fan bases. Yash is an idiot, but continue. <laughs> How's that crow treat you, John? <laughs> <laughs> a little backstory, Dan. So uh, John had a long history of doubting one Rowan uh, Alexander Barrett Jr. And Yash, the king of optimism, said that RJ's like got all NBA teams and all star games. Uh, for his future. And what was it? Not for your birthday. Was it a Christmas present? Oh, no. He just sent it randomly. Oh, he just sent, randomly just, sent I, him a crow. A crow said, showed up at my door one day. You need to like showcase that as RJ takes the leap. So every post game that RJ has a good game, John features the crow. And, <laughs> there you yeah, go. So that's the story is. behind the crow. Anyway. Um, 
Anyway, uh, I think drafts are mostly about development and more about like nailing the pick wherever it is. Like, I don't remember a lot of people telling me Donovan Mitchell was like going to be the best or second best player of his draft, but like fell to 13. Utah made a pick. Did their scouting correctly? There's it's documented that Walt Perrin like went in and, and had heavy influence. It was like, this is the guy we got to get. And they nailed the pick. Same thing can go for Miami with Bam and Tyler Hero. Same thing can go with like the Des Bain pick. Like the Giannis pick is a little more random because nobody knew what to do with him. Like it was yeah. just this like people. I, I know Simmons has talked about how like watching Giannis tape on highlights on YouTube. It's like, is he playing in a like a seventh graders league? He just looks bigger than everybody else. This can't be real. And then he came over and we see what happens. I'm way more like, yeah, there might be by the experts right now. There's only a three player draft. And that's why Knicks fans are like, we got to get one of these three players. Or maybe this is the year that like the 11th pick in the draft ends up being a blue chip prospect because Whoa. we now have the guy, Walt Perrin, that found the diamond in the rough, like a Donovan Mitchell or a Rudy Gobert. And it, maybe just nail the pick whenever <clears throat> you have it. It's funny you mentioned the 11th pick um, real quick and then we'll, we'll, we'll finish up. The So there was a, an article back in 2014, Dan, um, Sure, you've seen it, Andrew. I'm sure you've probably seen it too. Uh, put out by 538, which they went through uh, win shares by draft pick, and they plotted it all on a graph. And it's a it's a nice little sliding scale where it's it's pretty clear. It's like, but the first pick is is like people think that it's like oh, there's the first pick value is like so high, and then second a little bit down, third a little bit down. Third. No. The first pick is like in a tier of its own. Like if it, the first pick, I mean, Markel Fultz is in, of the world aside and Anthony Bennett's aside. That pick is a special pick. After that, there's kind of like a group of like two, three, four, five in, in some order. And then you usually you kind of drop down. But there's like a consistent thing. That article was from 2014. So today, because I am a just a massive loser, um, spent the better part of an hour plotting the same thing for the drafts from 2015 to 2019 and same thing in terms of the first pick first pick in terms of win shares produced by first picks, even with Fultz and even with Zion, not really producing a lot of win shares because he hasn't played a lot far and away. The most, do you want to know what the second highest win share total is, is uh, from 2014 to now from 2015 to 2019. So the next five, I didn't do 2020 oh, okay. or 2021 because it's like so recent. Um, Giannis was 13, right? No, that, yeah, that was a previous shift. You just said it. It was, it's the the 11th pick. The 11th pick has the most, the next most total win shares. And then after that, it's the second pick. And then after the second pick, it's the 27th pick. And then after, uh, or excuse me, sorry, after the 11th, it's the third, then the 27th, then the second, then the 22nd, then the 13th. It's like, it is kind of random. Um, and I do think it matters, you know, where you draft um, and and what you're bringing the pick into. Um, I don't know. And at the end of the day, like, I'm still a fan. I don't want to root for losses. I don't know. Dan, does that seem silly to you? I just like, I, I can't, you know, no, I, I mean, can't do it. I am a Knicks fan. And I think that gets lost. Like in what I, people just think that I I'm accused of hating the Knicks all the time. So I'm tired of rooting for losses too. And I missed the days with this team specifically. Andrew was on the podcast before the season started. And we were arguing about whether the Knicks, instead of, you know, trading 
that for getting the, the Hornets pick, whether they should have taken a shot at Keon Johnson or Io DeSunmu, I think was like the other guy I wanted to take. Uh, okay. I miss arguing over like the hair splitting decisions like that. And that might actually be the bigger problem with this franchise is stringing together enough of like the macro wins to where you trust that this isn't going to become a discussion anymore because I'm yeah. with you that there is, a, there is an element of like, that crap shootness to the draft. And I'd be curious on the study that you did, like was Gobert 27, like how many, like he's from return. I'm pretty like, sure he's from bef- before that, but okay. he was the 27th pick in the draft. Yeah. So, 27th has yielded a lot of fruit, by the way. Yeah. And there, so there's that element of randomness and also the Knicks have not done like this. They've probably done a worse job mining value out of some of their top picks compared to like their middle and, and, Bottom think. Picks, so I'm just trying to avoid getting any unnecessary hate in my mentions by saying that Listen, at, at this point, it, 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 Kevin Knox and Frank Milikina and uh, I'm trying to think who am I missing? Uh, these guys are with that. I hope Obi Toppin does not join this discussion, but it's not looking great right now. Anyway, that's, that's the thing, though, is that if the Knicks had taken Halliburton, if the Knicks had taken Miles Bridges, we're not having this conversation. They would have not. If the tanked. Knicks had taken Donovan Mitchell. Well, like if you want to say they take one of the three players that we just mentioned, we're not having it, this conversation. It's more so than just idea, three. Make a list. It's Shea Gillis Alexander. It's Mikal Bridges. Well, it's Bam Adebayo. It's Ty, mm-hmm. it's well Tyler Harrow's the RJ draft, but like you, you could argue literally anybody after Kevin Knox, John. <laughs> it's literally the next six. No, but that, but that's the thing is like you you. You yeah. look at those drafts and like, I, I understand it's a little early with Halliburton, but like, it's not even just Halliburton anymore. It's like Cole Anthony. I know he's not the most efficient guy in the world, but like dudes put up some, some nice numbers. He was taken 15th, you know, it wouldn't have been that crazy to take him eighth overall, whatever. Um, I, I do want to not to like go fold Obi hive here. I do want to oh just God. say, I just, there is a defense of like, I want to see what he looks like with a point guard. Again, so do I. That's I what know. he's the take has been on Obi consistently. I want to see him with like someone that's willing to use him as a stretch, as a stretch five or when he starts hitting threes again, maybe you use him as a stretch. The point is like play him next to Randall and maybe that can be an option that you use him for. Um, the point being a team that has needed a point guard for a while probably should have taken Halliburton, a point guard. Having said all of that, if they nail the pick, which is the general feeling I have when it comes to tanking, where Knicks fans are like, we won, that's a loss. And just what that does to like your psyche. And like, I think this even more stems from how it's done to football fans too. The Jets went two and 14 two years ago, and they didn't win their first game until week 15. And it was Makai Becton's first win of his career. And he was like, finally, a winner. And all he's getting is hate on Twitter because, and this like stems more to the, the, the Kendra Randall thing of like, you cost us Trevor Lawrence. It's like, I won my oh. first NFL game and my fan base is upset with me. And that's the mentality I just flat out reject. It is not the only way to get top talent by tanking. It is one right. way. It's and not as John laid out. It's kind of random. And if you nail the eighth pick or the 13th pick or the 27th pick, like, None of us are worried about how many losses we had to get to that pick. Yeah. All right. Um, Dan, final thoughts on this wonderful topic. I, I want to have strong feelings on it for the Knicks, but I think when you just look at this season standings, it's like, what would you be tanking towards? But like how many spot, how many, how much better are you improving your odds? So I'm more about the IQ minutes, the McBride minutes, this usage that we've been able to see from RJ. Those are the things that will make me still watch this team, even when they presumably fall out of the playoff race. And, I think Andrew mentioned this before uh, when you really start to think of like what it does to your draft stock, to even make the plan at this point, like the opportunity cost probably isn't 
that stark, especially when you measure it against what yeah. John just told us about the randomness behind the draft. So there are a bunch of different things they could do. I think as long as they're playing the players they need more information on most and then giving yes. opportunity um, for guys like RJ and Emmanuel quickly to play through certain things or in different type of capacities, that is the, the most valuable thing that they can do from here on. Here's what there's no justification for not playing those younger players in favor of playing Evan fucking Fournier. For, no offense, Evan. We love you. Yes, but. offense, please. <laughs> Mrs. Fournier is going to tweet at us, guys. Uh, is he married? I think so. Does wasn't his wife his Google's name really quick and, and see what Google's I'm not. No, 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 no. Uh, then 30 seconds before I let you go. Who's your, uh, who's your MVP? My MVP is Nikola Jokic. It's not okay. a runaway. If you want to pick and beat or Giannis. No, no, I, we, okay, we recorded a Patreon pod earlier today. Was, he's my pick as well. Brooklyn. So I would enjoy the race too. This is like, we don't get races like this that often. A lot of, a ton of fun, uh, a ton of fun. I actually, the, where I'm actually struggling is I think there is an argument for Giannis over Embiid, which I know is going to sound crazy, but like the numbers are just Giannis and Tedekoop was really good. That's all. I Can I also ask Dan how high in like, if you were to put a top 10 of MVP together, where would Ja fall? Probably in the top, I want to say seven. Okay. I think okay. the, Same range, John. Yeah. 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 Where did you guys have him? I, I think I had him sixth, fifth or sixth, something like seventh, maybe seventh. I don't know. I have Luca fourth after the, my top three. Uh, and then I think I have the Rosen fifth. Yeah. yeah. The Rosen. And then yeah. it's like a jumble of Steph. But, John. No, but I have like, I have to me, like, I think Luca probably should be fourth, but I, I think really there's a, after the top three, I think there's a group of like five or six guys that you can conceivably have there. Yeah. Um, you know, to end up on the ballot. This was um, our Patreon preview earlier, so it's fine to talk about because everybody oh, okay, can good. hear it. Um, yeah, this is you nailed it, Dan. This is like a very been a very exciting, um, very exciting MVP race. So oh, and, far. and who's your who's your uh, title pick right now today? Uh, it has to be the Suns. I picked them preseason, and I would like to do good one for you. Sufferable victory lap. So, um, <laughs> but they're also just the best team. Like they're just going to keep winning without Chris Paul and. Devin Booker, apparently he did come back, but like, they're just, they're a machine. I, man, I've been slow to, I've been slow to join that, like f f get fully in the deep end of that pool. Uh, I'm like waist deep. I'm, in, I'm like waist deep right now, but Philly might know. be my number two pick. That's the one that I've struggled with the most because it's amazing what two weeks off did for James Harden's hamstring, just magically <laughs> making him look like a completely different player. So it is, uh, is it too wild to take that I have Miami over Philly? Yes. No. <laughs> Thank like, you. Thank you. They're, they're so good. And like their best they players haven't even played together really I know. Yet, yeah. for a long period of time. So you they know, they miss like, a lot of games. Yeah. What was that, Dan? There's Milwaukee and like there, I think there are probably five to seven teams that if you just told me I'm picking this team, I wouldn't argue against you. I'd be like, yeah, all right. That makes sense. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> Brooklyn on that list? No, Brooklyn. Come on. We got to stop you. the Nets matter. Thank you. Wow. There's, Thank look, you. Shots fired. You don't know, let's even just assume that Kyrie Irving is able to play in more than every other third game or whatever it is at some point. Like, we don't know how Ben Simmons is going to fit there. This team is not built to defend, has barely any wings. Its front court rotation is old, imperfect, and not very versatile. Um, Kevin Durant papers over a lot. Like he can only do so much. And I do think it's fair to be like, I know what he did in last year's postseason, but we're allowed to ask whether his body can hold up after he's missed this much time over a three year span. So I'm more of, 
let's wait and see next year with the Nets. Although if Kyrie leaves in free agency, which I wouldn't put past him, they're just, I will officially be shocked if the Nets win the title this year. Like that's just where I'm at. That team has been so implosive. It's, it's not even funny anymore. It's just sad. Thank you. I'd be extraordinarily surprised. Can I say shocked? I don't know. I just, I, I just have so much respect for Kevin Durant, but I, I think I'd, I'd probably be shocked too. Dan, you've been uh, way too generous with your time. Uh, before we leave, can you just uh, let the folks at home know where they could get you and uh, all your stuff? Yes, I am always tanking downloads on the At Hardwood Knox podcast. You can follow <laughs> us on Twitter, spelled exactly as we sound. And I publish lots and lots of work covering the NBA at large at Bleacher Report. So you can check me out there as well. Uh, Andrew, any final words before we go? Let's go Mets. Baseball's back, baby. <laughs> all I'm Dan. I'm done. All of you, all, all of you that aren't going to watch, fine. Please like my sport. I have my sport. I can't That's wait. Good. April 8th, opening jersey day. jersey that you're wearing? Or no, no. This is a Pete Alonzo jersey that John got me for my birthday it, last year. It, it, yeah. Yes. So you're an enabler. That's all I've heard. I am an enabler, yeah. <laughs> um, it's my fault. All right. Thanks for checking out this episode of the Next Film School podcast. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Dan. Uh, if you're not following Dan uh, and checking out all his stuff, make sure you do that uh, again uh, at uh, Dan Favalli uh, on Twitter. Uh, don't forget, if you like the show, feel free to drop a five-star rating, leave a review. And of course, if you're not subscribed, uh, please do so. We're also making a push to get to 10,000 subscribers on the YouTube channel. So just go to YouTube. I think you just type in next film school and like our channel appears. Yeah. And then you could hit subscribe. Uh, that would mean a lot to us because uh, we put out a lot of good content on there. So you should, you should check that out. Uh, that is it. Don't forget. Uh, look for the Memphis Grizzlies post game popping up on your podcast feed tomorrow. And then uh, I think Jeremy and I are coming at you at our usual uh, bat time bat channel uh, uh, this upcoming week. Yes, it's a good thing. I know when I'm supposed to be recording podcasts, it's always healthy. Um, <laughs> in the meantime, enjoy your weekend. Talk to you soon.